0: Welcome to Mind the Owner's Manual. I'm your host, Lawrence Castilia. This podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the topic of meditation. Please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for further information about this podcast or if you're interested in starting a meditation practice. Joining me today is George Boyd, the founder of the Mudra Ashram Institute of Spiritual Studies. George is a master meditation teacher, a prolific author who has published more than 20 books, and he is an innovator in the field of meditation. This podcast is part of the Mudra Ashram Maps of Consciousness series, and this is a series of question and answer sessions that George and I began recording in 2011. Today, we are going to continue our series on the Continuum of Consciousness with George Boyd. We left off with the conscious mind, which is our normal waking state of awareness and which has an integrating center known as the ego. Today, we're going to move into the subconscious mind. Thank you for joining me here today, George. So, quoting from your writings, quote, the conscious mind may be visualized as a sphere or bubble. This bubble of consciousness floats on the surface of the subconscious mind, nestled in the matrix of memory and the personal unconscious. The gateway center, also called the ethereal veil, is the last center of the conscious mind and must be surmounted to cross the barrier that separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the band of the mind that stores memory, organizes and processes experience, utilizes the faculty of imagination and visualization, and operates the subtle mechanisms of karma. It lies between the conscious mind and the metaconscious mind. We access the subconscious mind through psychotherapy, hypnosis, and meditation. It is the repository of the totality of our past experiences and is our link with the higher bands of awareness, the metaconscious and superconscious bands of the mind. End quote. So I guess my first question is, what is the quality of the subconscious mind? How do you know when you're connecting with your subconscious? Is this our dream state of awareness or is this the part of ourselves that when someone asks us who was your first grade teacher, thinks back and recalls the memory. Also, is it the subconscious mind that helps us forget the bad stuff that happens in our lives? The quality of the subconscious
1: mind is simply when you move your attention along the thread of consciousness, you're going to move into discrete layers of the mind that are behind this conscious aspect of your mind. When you are in your subconscious mind, at the very first point, you're becoming aware of what memory is recording in this moment. You're recording memory right now. So everything you experience is being put into memory. And depending on the intensity of it, the emotionality of it, the significance of it, it may become a more striking memory than simply the memories you might have, you know, walking down the street, noticing a person sitting on a park bench. Now, when you go deeper into the subconscious mind, when you move deeper into what we call this temporal mnemonic zone of the mind, temporal meaning time and mnemonic meaning memory, you actually go back to the places in your memory where they're distinct where you have these distinct experiences. So it would be like time traveling. So when they do psychological regression, when hypnotherapists do psychological regressions, they actually take them back into this level of the mind. And then they're able to actually go back to the time when they had a particular experience and remember it in great detail. A skilled hypnotherapist can draw many details from an individual going back into that specific memory. Now, as we go deeper into the subconscious mind, you you reach a state where you first become aware of yourself as the actor in your life. After that point, we talk about your life narrative, your story of your life. And before that, there are little islands of memory. There's not really a sense of self at that point, but you have little islands of memory. So I recall, for example, being very, very little, sitting in a crib, looking up, seeing light coming through the window, and there was this peeling yellow paint. Little little islands of memory, but not you don't have a continuity of memory for that very early period. This has sometimes been called the personal unconscious, and it represents that zone before your first conscious memory and birth your birth experience and then you can also follow this track back through embryonic experience to the moment of conception and then you follow this track back through what we call the golden light of the soul there's actually a a stream of golden light that leads you to the reflection of your soul which we term the atom of eternity now when you go deeper you move into the system of chakras and the chakras are storehouses of knowledge intuitive knowledge collecting information in specific ways organizing categorizing information and also governing automatic or subconscious types of reflexes so i think about for example courtship you know people have a specific behavior that they do almost unwittingly when they are courting somebody and you know that that's their behavior because they're drawing upon that that wisdom that is in the centers of the of the chakras of the subconscious mind and beyond that we have the zone of the astral body the zone of the causal body and then these centers that we call Taurus as a purpose and at that level that's a mirror of our spiritual development plus it also mirrors the issues that are embedded in your, I want to say, in your life destiny. So these are the issues that you're working out. You can visualize them there as the first of those Tauruses of purpose. So this entire zone represents the subconscious mind. And it operates in the background. So when your conscious mind is performing whatever actions, it's being supported, it's being substanded by this subconscious mind.
0: From our earlier podcast with you on the conscious mind, we know that the conscious mind has the integrating center of the ego. Does the subconscious mind have an integrating center as well?
1: Not really. Only there are centers within the subconscious mind that are activated by the soul. And in some of them can be connected with through the metaconscious mind. So we talk about the atom of eternity, which is a reflection of the soul. We talk about the subconscious seed atom, which is along the spinal tube in the system of chakras, which is a reflection of the soul. We have the reflection of the soul on top of the brain chakra. We also have the seed atom in the astral body, which is a reflection of a higher order or higher octave of being that we call the astral soul. It's the reflection of that development. And then you have your causal body, which mirrors your development in the supercosmic. And then you have the Taurus is a purpose which, as they become purified, they are reflecting your development of what we call our spiritual nature, sometimes called the surat, which is our spiritual nature, and it mirrors the development of our spirit. So there are centers that mirror your development, and in some way, they become channels or conduits for the soul to begin to work through you. So there's not a integration center per se within the subconscious mind.
0: Are there any other notable centers in the metaconscious or superconscious mind that interface with the subconscious mind? There's a
1: center that we call in the metaconscious mind, we call the etheric body, and it's like a switchboard. So it enables you to interface with the subconscious mind. This center in the metaconscious mind enables you to take all of the sensory information and create a world picture of it. It summarizes all that and it makes that perception available to the self. There's also what we call ideomotor movement, which is your ability to initiate new behavior that you've never done. So you learn something and then you can mirror it, you can you can uh, imitate it, you can modify it. So it allows you to grow in terms of your behavior. We also talk about the connection with, I want to say, the visceral intelligence. So for example, if you recognize that you know there is something threatening in your environment and you need to leave that concept will, rouse your subconscious mind so you actually have a conduit from the metaconscious mind to rouse this subconscious mind this visceral intelligence that operates within the body to produce the extra energy it needs to allow you to get out of there
0: almost like esp where people feel a sense of danger or that they're in the wrong place and then they need to get out of there
1: yeah, well, I mean, it's typically it's moderated by an actual threat you recognize. It isn't necessarily a premonition, which comes from the superconscious mind. But it is, you know, a, a threat that you recognize. You recognize it. okay, this is not a good situation. There's a person here with a gun. I need to get out of here. This being said... Then we also have the center that allows the metaconscious mind to interface with all the stores of memory. So you can recall that memory. And then it also has this faculty of habit, which allows you to take all of the behaviors that you learn and to automate them. So they run out of the subconscious mind. You don't have to think about them once you've learned them.
0: So I think most people associate the subconscious mind with hypnosis to a degree. And of course, people use hypnosis to deal with and address a variety of issues, including anxiety, tension, insomnia. You know, people use it to stop smoking and to create positive habits and behaviors. And hypnosis actually has evidence-based research showing it can be effective in treating PTSD. And it's used to address childhood trauma. And uh, it's used in repressed memory therapy, which you kind of touched on. How is hypnosis able to tap into the subconscious mind and, and change our lives for the better? Okay, well, there are two aspects of hypnosis. We can look at the attentional
1: part, which means that the hypnotherapist is telling your attention to go somewhere inside of you. The other is the movement of the astral body. So when your eyes are closed and you're dreaming, you're seeing things. Where are you seeing that with what are you seeing? that? you're actually seeing that through the eyes of the astral body. So when a person goes into hypnosis, their astral body moves along to some level of the mind. The astral body gives you the subtle senses to be able to experience whatever it is the hypnotherapist is suggesting to you. And your attention is experiencing whatever that is at that level. So the two of them are in tandem. So the hypnotherapist is guiding you to go to a particular level in the subconscious mind.
0: And I assume that basically hypnotherapists through study have mapped out how to do this. So they know how to take that path as you're kind of describing, they're leading people, they're guiding people's attention consciously from their conscious mind into a deeper stratum of mind, specifically the subconscious mind. Yes, that is what's happening.
1: Again, many hypnotherapists simply use a script that has been developed by master hypnotherapists and I guess after some practice and they really begin to understand what's happening to the individual, but a lot of them start out using scripts, a set routine.
0: Yeah. So people are using hypnotherapy to help subjects, help people access their subconscious mind. People talk about programming the subconscious mind to affect behavior, change habits, et cetera. Is that what the hypnotherapist is, are, is doing basically is programming the subconscious mind? Yes, you can say that. Now, one of the things we teach in our intermediate
1: meditation courses is a technique for auto-hypnosis. And by going to a certain level in the subconscious mind, you can interface with the mechanisms that drive behavior, motivation, physiological processes. And so hypnotherapists use different types of interventions like this to interface with the subconscious mind, which operates in the
0: background. And how successful would you say are the factors that determine success in using hypnotherapy for these various purposes?
1: Well, I have to say that I have not studied the literature to any great degree that indicates the relative success of hypnosis for specific conditions. I can say that anecdotally I have a friend who is a hypnotherapist and anecdotally they said that it seems to produce some very good results I don't know what percentage but certainly over half of the people notice some positive effects from using it Mm -hmm. some people don't get any any effects because they are not able to move off the waking state of consciousness and they're not able to enter into a hypnotic state.
0: And then there's the idea that how receptive are you really to what's being suggested? Yes, uh, certainly there has to be a participation
1: on the part of the person who's being hypnotized. So if you resist it with every fiber of your being, you probably aren't going to go into a
0: hypnotic state. But even having arrived in the hypnotic state, I think that there's material in the subconscious mind that is going to either enhance or detract from the ability of using hypnosis or auto-hypnosis to create change.
1: Yeah, you're talking about the native resistance or armoring of the mind against change, against confronting shameful or painful
0: or fearful material in the mind. So do you think they can successfully target the subconscious mind in advertising we see on TV and on the internet?
1: I want to say that You can only target something that already exists in the mind. So if a person is a meat eater and they are hungry and they have those impressions in the mind that says, I get my protein from eating hamburger. When people give an advertisement about that, it's going to stimulate that aspect of the mind. So. When you purify those impressions off the mind, as we do in deep meditation, you actually begin to transform and purify the mind and get rid of impressions that are not central to what the soul is here to do, what you're here to do as a human being. Then those impressions simply pass by. Those suggestions simply pass by because there's nothing for them to grab a hold of
0: that sounds huge so basically if you have seeds of addiction whatever it is gluttony you know certain traits they're going to basically be triggered and part of the way they're triggered is through the subconscious mind
1: yeah well there are several different aspects of sensation and deep senses within the body That can be stimulated to activate these impressions that are in the subconscious and even a deeper layer of the mind we call the unconscious mind, which is the part of your mind which is completely out of conscious awareness altogether. So those deeper impressions live in the unconscious mind and as you purify them, then there's nothing for these suggestions to get a hold of. Let me give an example. Let's say someone is advertising a sofa to you. You don't have any need for a sofa. You've not established a desire for a sofa. You have a sofa. You don't need one. And so that suggestion just goes right by you. But let's say that you are in the market for a sofa. All of a sudden, you're going to pay attention to that. So if the desire is present in the subconscious unconscious mind then that message is going to go through
0: that's kind of like when you're thinking of buying a car and you're thinking of a specific brand specific model all of a sudden you're driving on the road and it's like you weren't aware of how many of the model of car were on the road but now you're seeing them everywhere and you're paying attention to when whenever you see one so to flip the coin Instead of receiving impressions that other people are sending, when people are using affirmations and they're trying to program their subconscious, is that more successful when people are basically choosing an affirmation saying, this is the one that resonates to me, and they're repeating that consistently? Do they have a better chance of successfully programming the subconscious mind? Okay.
1: Well, when you use an affirmation, typically what happens is you become aware of these different layers of content that are in the subconscious and the unconscious mind now where affirmations become powerful is when you cross that zone of the mind and you move into the superconscious mind where you are able to actively draw upon that dynamic power of the superconscious mind when you repeat an affirmation sufficient number of times You move through the unconscious band of the mind and you move up into the superconscious band of the mind. And when you're in that level, use all the dynamic creative powers of the superconscious mind to begin to help you actually make that a reality. It's like getting Mm -hmm. support to do what you want to do. It supports you in you enacting
0: the changed behavior. You've been mentioning the various bands or states of awareness that make up the subconscious mind already during our podcast referring to them and I just want to go through them in a kind of a structured way for people. Uh, Specifically, you've identified nine states of awareness that make up the subconscious mind. So, I'm going to start by reading your description of the first level or band of the subconscious mind which you call the personal unconscious. Quote. The personal unconscious is the repository of life experiences, both readily recalled by the conscious mind and those that are not readily recalled. This is also called the temporal track. And this zone has five major focal points one, the present time in memory, two, the first conscious memory when you became aware that you were the actor in your life, three, the moment of birth, four, the moment of conception, and five, the atom of eternity from which you are able to view your entire life as a detached observer from the viewpoint of your soul. Your life narrative comprises the content focal points of one and two, the personal unconscious consists of the contents of this level of the mind prior to your first conscious memory up to the moment of conception." End quote. Is this personal unconscious that you're discussing here the same thing as what's popularly called the unconscious?
1: Well, the unconscious mind has several different levels that we can encounter. So there is an aspect of the unconscious mind that exists behind the ego, which is we often refer to it as the shadow. When we move here into the subconscious mind, we find before your first conscious memory, there's an area in which you don't have a stable sense of identity. And you may only have isolated memories. Certain things may stand out for you. You know, maybe when you were two years old, you remember getting licked on the licked on your face by a big dog and you you have that memory but you don't have a sense of I was there at my birthday party and my dog Ralph was uh very affectionate that day and he leaped up and he knocked over some, some stuff on the table and he came and he licked my face and I was laughing and my mother was laughing and So the difference is that you have these little isolated memories. So in some forms of psychotherapy, they try to get people back to these very early experiences that preceded your, I want to say your integrated life narrative, because certain experiences that you had in that zone of the mind influence your attitudes, your beliefs, so if you're very anxious, there may have been experiences that you had even before you were aware of yourself in, you know, as the actor in your life. Those experiences may have influenced you and, and basically colored the way that you express in your life
0: today. So personal unconscious obviously is the opposite of impersonal unconscious. And I think that's probably what people are referring to when they're using that phrase, the unconscious or the the unconscious mind, because you're specifically saying that this is basically related to our life narrative um, from the moment of conception, essentially. Um, okay.
1: okay. Well, there are earlier. other levels of the unconscious mind as well. So those are two that relate to our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. So there's also an aspect of the unconscious mind that dwells behind the self and its vehicles of consciousness, its its forms through which it operates. And that's sometimes called the middle unconscious as opposed to the lower unconscious. And then there is the aspect of the unconscious mind behind the soul and its vehicles of consciousness, which is often referred to as the higher unconscious.
0: That puts things in perspective that there's zones, a lower, a middle, and a higher unconscious. And the personal unconscious that we just described is basically the nature and character of the lower unconsciousness associated, or excuse me, is basically the nature of the lower unconscious, which is associated with the subconscious mind.
1: Yeah. So there's an aspect of it that you encounter in your right behind your ego, we call the shadow. And this is typically the emotions, the issues that come up that impact you directly in your life. And then we have the deeper issues that are found in this zone between your first conscious memory. And I want to say conception, which are things that you don't consciously remember but in some cases they might influence your life.
0: Let me go through your description of the other bands or states of awareness associated with the subconscious mind, and then we'll explore um, these centers uh, one by one. So I'm going to actually go through all of them here, and then we'll get to them specifically one by one. So the next band you call the seat of the Kundalini Shakti, which is the energy of awareness. In its dormant state, it energizes the centers of the conscious mind. When awakened, it brings energy and awareness into the vehicles of the subconscious, metaconscious, and superconscious bands of the mind. Next, you have the seven chakras, quote, centers of creative intelligence that organize experience. These appear as lotus flowers of varying numbers of petals, that are aligned along the cerebrospinal axis. Next, you have the pituitary center, which is the seat of the attentional principle. Next, you have the pineal center, which is the seat of the spirit, an entrance to the inner current of light and sound, which has been called the nada. Next, you have the astral body, which is the vehicle of so-called astral projection and clairvoyant seeing. Next, you have the causal body, which is the repository of karmic impressions, such as sins, some scars, which are effaced by meditation practice and living through them. Certain ones you can efface through meditation,
1: burning them up, and some you live through because they're part of your destiny karma.
0: Next you have the Tauruses of Purpose, which are 13 crowns or Tauruses, which mirror the fulfillment of human destiny in your current life. And finally, you have the eight-petaled lotus center, which is where your spiritual guide appears. So let's go through these. So the first one after the personal unconsciousness we talked about was the seat of the Kundalini Shakti. So what is Kundalini Shakti and what role is it playing in the conscious and subconscious minds? Well, it simply is the energy that drives
1: your awareness. We do a class where we talk about the Kundalini Shakti and we actually show you how to awaken this energy. It is normally not an energy that you want to fool around with. A lot of people think that they're going to awaken their Kundalini Shakti and get enlightenment. And I have been working with people since 2006 who have fooled around with this energy and have gotten very, very bad results. So you need to know what you're doing in working with this energy. What I want to say is that normally, as you awaken spiritually, this energy begins to play a greater role in terms of activating, energizing, purifying your inner vehicle so they become useful for yourself and your soul to operate through.
0: As a note to listeners, I want to remind you that if you are interested in learning more about meditation and the topics discussed in the Mind The Owner's Manual podcast, please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for additional information including articles, videos, and unpublished podcasts now back to the interview and by saying that it's the seat in the subconscious this is basically it's ground state yeah it appear it appears like a little like a little ball of fire that dwells there and in our normal waking state the kundalini is essentially dormant that's correct but then the kundalini i guess needs to wake up for us to become aware Of material in our subconscious mind and the deeper bands on the continuum of consciousness is that the case yes that's correct and many people awaken it
1: simply through doing meditation by focusing their attention by deeply concentrating doing what we call raja yoga people will actually activate mobilize some of this energy to follow them and into those higher levels of consciousness so there are specific methods to awaken the kundalini energy itself and these are typically used when you want to activate a new vehicle consciousness the soul evolves to a new level you may do the practice of awakening the kundalini to animate to activate to energize to purify that new vehicle so that's one of the reasons why we introduce it in our meditation system but many people use the kundalini so they can very quickly get up into union with a higher state of consciousness and remain there. And we certainly don't advocate that people do that. That if you're going to awaken the kundalini, you want to bring that energy all the way back down to ground so you can function normally.
0: And by awakening it you're simply becoming aware of material at different bands of the continuum. You're not necessarily transforming yourself or evolving yourself you're just becoming more aware of the material in your various states of mind yeah
1: it's the energy that drives your awareness into these higher levels of the of the of consciousness
0: so we know that meditation can awaken the kundalini can the kundalini be stimulated also through hypnosis or auto-suggestion affirmations or any other techniques that people use to access the subconscious mind
1: well Typically, you wouldn't use auto-hypnosis or affirmation to awaken the kundalini. There are specific techniques that can be used to awaken it. And you wouldn't want to use this energy to, you know, the same way you would use affirmation or auto-hypnosis. We often say that auto-hypnosis is typically used to change behavior. And we say that affirmation is typically used to change behavior. Belief. So if you have a belief that's limiting you, then if you use affirmation, you can overcome it. If you have behaviors or habits that are out of control that are messing with your life, then using auto hypnosis or having a professional hypnotherapist
0: work with you sometimes will help you to overcome that behavior can hypnosis or autosuggestion or affirmation as a byproduct as an unintended result stimulate the kundalini
1: I'm not aware of anyone for whom that has occurred it may be possible but I have not
0: heard of any instances where that was the case so when edgar casey was using was going into a trance which I would assume is some type of hypnotic state, and then coming forward with all this various material, was Kundalini playing a role in helping him access, you know, this deep knowledge? Well, again, as you
1: move attention to deeper strata of the mind and your awareness opens, in some cases, you draw some of that kundalini energy up to animate that state. In one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about the three stages of Raja Yoga. When you concentrate or fixate your mind, your awareness opens and then your energy flows. Well, that energy right. that flows comes from the kundalini. So you're drawing a little bit of that energy up into that state. So it has a certain effect in in the in the sense that it is animating that vehicle so you can become aware of it. So Edgar Casey, when he was hypnotized, was led to go on to what is called the Akashic Record subplane of the abstract mind plane. And then he was able to travel along specific tracks through that to read the past lives of other people.
0: Okay, and that definitely is not the subconscious band of the mind or even the metaconscious band of the mind. He was way up in the superconscious band of the mind. Yes. To
1: read past lives, you cannot find past lives in your personal unconscious, in your middle unconscious. You find past lives up in the
0: superconscious in the specific band where they are recorded. Okay, very clear. Let's move on to the next center, which uh, you call the seat of the attentional principle. What is the attentional principle you're referring to and how does this differ from our normal attention? Well, the attentional principle is a wave of consciousness
1: that is encased in a, a tiny form that has the faculties of intention of being able to receive intuitive information to send attunements has the ability to contemplate it has the ability to give suggestion and has the ability to enter the experience of other people which we call empathy and has the ability to marshal its resources and to create a new thing in your life so this faculty is central to doing spiritual work so In our meditation classes, we train people to unite their attention with this attention principle and then to begin to work as this attention principle, to use it to activate a transformational mantra, to use it to make attunements, use it to move out of this ground state of consciousness and travel in full consciousness through the Metaconscious and all the bands of the superconscious mind, up to the soul and even to higher levels of the superconscious mind.
0: So this is a very key center, a very powerful ability within. But you're not really able to access it until you cross the barrier into the subconscious mind. Why is why are we set up that way? Why is this faculty not available to us in our conscious mind? The conscious mind is designed. For you
1: to be able to interface with the environment and to experience your life. These deeper centers are connected with your soul purpose. They're connected with your spiritual service, your spiritual ministry, your ability to work on the issues that are in your unconscious mind to change your life for the better. And in the conscious mind, you're more, you're relating to that which is going on in the present time. So the con- in the conscious mind, you're more or less coping. You're dealing with what is in your immediate environment. When you're operating from these higher centers, you can work with the mind itself. So you can actually work on the mind. You can anchor suggestions. You can use affirmations you can use methods like process meditation to find the origin of of different issues that you might have you can work on yourself from this higher standpoint whereas when you're embedded in the ego you're simply having your experience and trying to cope with it
0: the next band you call the seat of the spirit how are you defining spirit here well the spirit is another essence
1: it is an immortal essence that dwells within us. And most people probably don't have an experience of the spirit. They never really get into the awareness of the spirit. But those that do experience what we want to say altruistic emotions, meaning that you want to serve and help others selflessly. You want to respond to others You know when they're troubled. You want to comfort them. It's the source of our spiritual longing and devotion. It's the source of our, of our love. Spirit is, is filled with love. You want to get in touch with the spirit, go back on the wavelength of love, and you'll find the spirit. So it dwells in the superconscious mind. And again, in our mapping of the great continuum of consciousness, we found that there are 12 different domains of the spirit. And so typically, were you to meditate on this center and you were able to travel along that current, you would find the aspect of the spirit that is active in you now.
0: So the interesting thing to me is that a lot of our most important aspects of our being are not available in the conscious mind, yet most people spend the majority of their time you know, associated with their ego in the conscious mind, whether they're doing, you know, driving to work, doing activity, they're in a very reactive state of mind. But if you can find a doorway to cross over into these deeper bands of the mind, you have an entirely different experience. Yes, that's correct. So in our meditation classes, we specifically teach you to
1: activate the attentional principle, to activate the spirit, and to awaken as the soul. Those are what we call the three immortal centers. Mm-hmm. And we
0: specifically teach you how to do that. Okay, so the next band of the subconscious mind is the that you identify is the astral body. And I'd like to read a description of the astral body from your writings. Quote: The surface of the astral body shimmers or sparkles. The actual body is opalescent and resembles the physical body in appearance. However, the astral body may resemble the form of a younger or older physical form. For example, a 60-year-old may assume the astral form of their 35-year-old physical appearance. A mature 14-year-old may appear in an astral form of someone in their early 20s. The astral body connects to the medulla center by an umbilical cord-like structure that is referred to as the silver cord in esoteric literature. This cord is infinitely extensible, yet tethers or anchors the astral body to the body's etheric matrix, or chakra. In its ground state, the astral body is effectively superimposed on the physical form. When the physical body's arm moves, for example, the astral body's arm also moves so many people attempt astral projection or astral travel to explore inner space which is essentially travel to other dimensions is this possible and also why does the astral body look like our physical body
1: well it certainly is possible for the astral body to move off of coincidence with the physical body you do this all the time when you're sleeping you do this in hypnosis and when you consciously learn to operate your astral body, then you can travel at will to specific locations in the physical world, the physical universe, or dimensions of the what we call the astral plane. Now, there are a variety of techniques, ostensibly, that enable you to move your astral body out of coincidence of the physical body. So people who use... Psychedelic drugs, anesthetic drugs often experience that their astral body moves off of coincidence with their physical body. And they experience a state called dissociation. They're looking at their physical body from a detached viewpoint. They're looking at it. So you're looking down at your physical body being four feet up in the air and you're looking at your physical body from your astral eyes. What they call remote viewing is when you project your astral body to a specific location in space. Then you have your astral body report on what it is seeing there, what it is hearing there. You can do the same by taking it to a particular dimension of the astral plane. You can go and visit the inhabitants that dwell on those on those worlds.
0: So how important is this vehicle, the astral body, to the process of meditation? In other words, what role does it play in meditation, if any?
1: Well, you activate your astral body when you're meditating. But the difference between astral projection and what we call direct projection is that instead of having your focus inside the astral body, your attention is focused on what we call the attentional principle or it's focused on the spirit so you're not aware of you know what's going on inside my astral body where am i going to where am i flying to you're aware of the focus of attention so instead of having people focus in their astral body and go on a i want to say go on a journey that they often don't have much control over think about your dreams for example Or think about a psychedelic trip, you take some ayahuasca and you go to some place that you don't consciously have any control over. You don't have any conscious control over where your astral body is moving in dreams, unless you're doing, say, lucid dreaming or something like that, where you're directing the process. You know, we have you focus on a center where you are actively in control of the experience of meditation where you can say, okay, I am now going to travel along this particular track to the human self at the core of the metaconscious mind. I'm going to travel along this track until I reach the presence of my soul. I'm going to go to this specific location where I can commune with my spiritual guide within. You do it under full consciousness. So that's the reason why we tend to de-emphasize the astral body and we focus on the principles that can fully control their experience in meditation.
0: I see. So basically, when people move from their conscious mind into their subconscious mind, their awareness can be aligned with one of these various states of awareness. And for example, they could be associated with the astral body, or they could be associated with the attentional principle. They could use either one of these to explore the inner worlds, but one, they're going to have a lot more control of the attentional principle, and two, the astral body, less control, more vague of an experience, I would say.
1: Well, if your astral senses are working, I want to say in a heightened fashion, you can have a very, very rich experience of the inner worlds. But that being said, you often don't have a lot of control, at least initially, as you gain greater experience in meditation you can begin to guide and control the astral body so you make it your you make it your tool so that you can use the astral body so for example if you wanted to find out what's going on in your home when you're traveling somewhere you could actually project your astral body and have your astral body look around your home to make sure everything's in place so as you learn to use the astral body effectively, then you can use it as a tool just as simply as
0: just as easily as you use your physical body. Does the attentional principle and the astral body work in tandem at times or are they basically two separate channels of awareness?
1: Well, they are two separate. I want to say if you talk about the sensory mechanism that operates through the attentional principle, and the sensory mechanism that operates through the astral body, you have a different order of perception at that level. So you get different content if you're focused in the astral body as opposed to
0: if you're focused on the attentional principle. Okay, let's move on to the next band of awareness, which you call the causal body. Can you describe what that is and how it functions? Well, I can say what it looks like. It is, looks like an outer
1: lotus with 18 petals, and then within that is an inner lotus of 8 petals, and then at the very core is an ever-burning flame. Now, in uh, certain religions like Zoroastrianism, they keep a sacred flame burning all the time. Well, you have a sacred flame that burns in the core of your causal body. And so this sacred flame takes of your life experiences, processes them, and completes the karma that is underlying them. It has a role in fixing your memories into what we call long-term memory, and it is the center through which... You can begin to call upon this transmuting fire to begin to work with some of your issues. So, in many traditions, they have a sacrificial fire. They, in the Hindu tradition, they call it the homa fire, and it is typical that people offer things to that fire. So, you can offer your issues of your life, ask that they be transmuted and changed, they can be overcome. So it's a way of activating this particular power within you to create change in your life, to renounce certain things, to let go of certain things. And the causal body is a reflection in the subconscious mind of the development of your supercosmic soul. And it contains the Four major aspects of karma that we refer to as the Adi karma, the karma behind the soul, the sentient karma, the karma that is separates the spirit from its origin, the stored Kriyaman karma, which is the karma that makes up the higher unconscious mind. And then we talk about the destiny karma, which is the karma which is embedded in your human life the stuff that you experience at the level of the shadow and so it is the repository it is the silent witness of all of that process and as you change during your life your causal body is processing this these changes that take place in your life
0: when people are meditating and crossing into the subconscious mind what type of experience will people have when they encounter the causal body
1: well, typically they become aware of the inner flame that is ever burning karma, transmuting life experience. Some people might contemplate the different the different lotus flowers that make it up. Some people may feel a connection with their supercosmic soul as they're contemplating this center. This center is typically associated with what takes place during the sound sleep state of awareness. When your attention is dropped into the state of being unconscious, the center is active. The center is operating.
0: So it sounds like the center is a deeper center than the astral body, which I think a lot of people are able to interface with pretty easily. This one sounds like it's deeper and harder to get to for the average person.
1: Yeah. People rarely meditate on their causal
0: body. Why is that?
1: Because they're trained in techniques that teach them to access their astral body or to meditate on a particular vehicle of consciousness somewhere in their superconscious mind. So in the psychic tradition, they teach you to meditate on your psychic vehicle, your your form in the psychic realm. And so you don't focus on it because you're not trained to focus on it. No one shows it to you.
0: Right, that makes sense. But um, just... Innately, when people are thinking about their lives, thinking about their karma, wondering what they're here to do, and if they're able to cross over into the subconscious band of the mind, might they, through their intention, encounter the causal body and have a certain type of experience, not necessarily a visual experience, but an experience of the content related to the causal body?
1: Yes, people can have that experience. I think if you were to ask A lot of seekers, you know, have you ever had this experience where you've encountered an inner flame burning inside yourself and, uh, you know, you felt that certain issues were being processed or burned? A lot of people would say, no, I never had that experience.
0: It's somewhat rare. Okay. And um, it's interesting because the next center would seem like it might work in conjunction with the causal body. You call the Taurus of Purpose Center. Is this where human purpose and meaning reside? Not typically. What you experience
1: at this band when you meditate on the first one is you see the personification, the representation of the karma that's embedded in your human life. So it's a center by which you can become aware of it if you study this center. So there are 18 aspects to... Your destiny, karma, and over a series of lives, you might purify one of these Tauruses, one or more of these Tauruses, and then in your current life, you have particular elements of karma that are playing out that are that you're experiencing in your life. Now, the higher centers, the higher purposes. Let's say that the spirit has a purpose to purify the entire domain in which it dwells and as it does that it's purifying these higher order toruses until when you've liberated the spirit you've fully purified that torus and this is repeated through every domain that you open until ultimately when you reach the infinite stage you purified all 12 of these domains it's mirrored here in this center So these are centers that are really mirrors of your spiritual development and also a mirror of what are the actual issues that you're experiencing as part of your destiny karma.
0: I see. Okay. And the last center or the last band of the subconscious mind that you identify is the eight-petaled lotus center, which you also call the seat of the guide and this sounds like a center where people and various cultures talk about finding a guide within. Is this where people are finding spiritual guides on the inner planes? Is through this eight-petaled lotus center?
1: Well, this is a center which I want to say is utilized in our tradition. One of our spiritual teachers takes up a form in those who have been initiated and are active students. And some people who meditate on that center will actually experience that guide. Now, this guide form isn't in everybody. It's for those who have come to our tradition and they're studying with us. Then the guide form will be present there to assist them. In other spiritual traditions, they typically encounter guides at levels of the superconscious mind. So, for example, there are certain there are certain levels of what we call the lower subtle band where you meet certain guides. And then there are guides that appear in the middle subtle realm and the lower astral plane. and there are guides that appear in the psychic realm. This is probably where people are most commonly encountering guides is in the psychic realm. The guide form will also appear. As the soul is undergoing the first exoteric, mesoteric, and esoteric initiations, you encounter guides in the second initiation. You encounter guides in the third initiations. So, just as a summary, you typically experience the guide forms of different traditions somewhere in the superconscious mind.
0: Basically, the other guide forms are anchored where the mysteries are anchored, they're anchored in the same location, basically.
1: Well, they're anchored to assist individuals make their spiritual journey wherever they are in the continuum. So typically you find them in the superconscious mind. So there might be a guide that would be present to help you move through the lower subtle realm. Or a guide that might help you move through the archetypes of the Greco-Roman civilization, which we call the subtle emotional band of the continuum or you might have a guide that leads you through the mystery schools in the first esoteric initiation or you might have a guide you encounter if you're meditating on cosmic consciousness in the first cosmic initiation so the guide is present to lead your attention your attentional principle your spirit through a specific band of the continuum
0: When people are encountering their, quote, guardian angel, are they encountering their guardian angel through the subconscious mind? Typically, the guardian angel is
1: in the superconscious mind. And people will connect with their guardian angel. They may have a vision of it. The angel may show itself to them. They might hear the voice of the angel. They might feel the comforting energy of the angel. They might hear the intuitive thoughts coming to them, coming from their angel. The angel typically dwells in the superconscious mind and may manifest a form to an individual who was in distress, the, an individual whom that guardian angel was sent forth to protect.
0: When people are encountering an animal guide, or in some traditions they have an ancestor they may connect with, They're also doing that at the superconscious band of the mind, not at the subconscious band? Yes, that's correct. So it's pretty unusual that a tradition has a doorway or a guide form basically at the subconscious. That's pretty untypical. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Well, we've covered the levels of the subconscious mind that you've identified to give people a sense of the anatomy, so to speak, of this band of the continuum of consciousness. Thanks again for being here, George, and shedding light on the subconscious mind with me today. Thank you for your interest. This is Lawrence Castiglia. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Mind the Owner's Manual, a podcast series where I try to bring you in-depth discussion on meditation and consciousness. Please visit my website, mindtheownersmanual.com, and join the free member area to access additional tools and recordings on these topics. Have you wanted to learn how to meditate but weren't sure where to begin? Are your current meditations unfocused, repetitive, or boring? Are they not giving you the results that you want? People choose to learn to meditate for a variety of reasons. To have a higher frequency of peak performance and flow state experiences, for improved ability to relax the body and relieve stress, to have a richer, more vivid dream life and sounder sleep for enhanced clarity and mental concentration, to deepen the connection to their spirit, for stronger willpower and greater ability to control behavior and habits, to develop intuitive and psychic gifts, for better appreciation of religious teachings and living essential truths and values, to have mystic experiences with angels, spiritual guides, and God, for deeper insight And self-knowledge culminating in enlightenment and for direct experience of the spirit and the soul. If who we really are and the potential we possess lies within, how do we access these parts of our being? I would like to share with you the most comprehensive Introduction to Meditation course available. The Introduction to Meditation course is not a basic meditation course. This course is designed to train your inner concentration and give you powerful inner landmarks so you can travel within in an oriented and directed manner. You will learn the fundamentals of meditation as the Introduction to Meditation course takes you step by step through the levels of your mind. You will learn to recognize the structures within your mind which will enable you to enhance your ability to control and focus your attention. You will explore each of the levels of the conscious, subconscious, and metaconscious mind. You will learn how to contact your soul and how to get guidance from your soul. You will gain a far greater scope of what meditation is, and you will increase the depth of experience that meditation offers. To learn more about this course, please visit MindTheOwnersManual.com